Good evening, everyone. Welcome to Stewart Observatory, and we welcome those of you watching us on the World Wide Web, either at iTunes U or streaming at www.as.arizona.edu. This is our final lecture for the 2014-2015 season, the end of our 88th year of bringing public lectures to the uh, community. Uh, before I introduce tonight's speaker, I have a couple of things to say. If you are a student here for an assignment, I will validate your assignment at the table down here at the conclusion of the question and answer period. Also, made a mistake last week. I told you that our next lecture was going to be on the 21st of September. It's going to be on the 14th of September, the week before. And I even know our first speaker. It's uh, Professor Daniel McIntosh from the University of Missouri at Kansas City. He is an alumnus, of, he got his PhD here at Stewart Observatory, and he's on the faculty there now. He's gonna be here and he's gonna give the public lecture, but that's when he's gonna be here. So we're doing, I don't have a title yet. So our next lecture will be on September the 14th. Finally, it looks like it's clear, but we have a special treat for you tonight. Um, besides the Raymond D. White 21 inch telescope, uh, open for your viewing pleasure, one of our regulars asked me two weeks ago when we're going to open up the Clark Telescope again. Uh, we actually have uh, a telescope uh, that was made by Alvin Clark and Sons in 1888. And yes, and it's, it's in that other dome that's on top of the red brick building. Uh, so that telescope is what? A hundred and... Twenty-some uh, 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 years old or whatever. So it's... Uh, we're opening it up for your viewing pleasure. Uh, what you'll do is you'll go into the original Stewart Observatory, but after the first flight of stairs, you'll make a left, and you'll go across the catwalk. And uh, that door will be open, and, and there will be uh, someone there to guide you to where the Clark Telescope is. We'll be looking at Jupiter. It's a five-inch refracting telescope, and uh, it's, it's gorgeous. I was using it uh, Thursday night. Jupiter just looks stunning. And considering the telescope is... Uh, let me get this right, 15, uh, 25, 127 years old, okay? It's, it's, it's pretty neat. So please get a chance to look through the telescope if you've never looked through a 127-year-old telescope. All right, tonight, tonight, tonight. I always love it when we explore a part of our universe, in this case our solar system, that we've never seen before. We'll have another treat this summer when New Horizons gets to Pluto. But uh, long before Pluto, there was Ceres. It used to be a planet. It is then, a planet. Then it got demoted, <laughs> and now it's got promoted. Anyways, uh, our speaker tonight is Dr. Mark Sykes. Mark received his bachelor's degree in physics from the University of Oregon. Then he came here for graduate school. He received his PhD in planetary sciences from our Department of Planetary Science here at the University of Arizona. He also received his JJD, his law degree, from the University of Arizona Law School. So don't mess with him. Um, and uh, before he started law school, he was a postdoctoral researcher and then a staff scientist here at Stewart Observatory for many years. Then while he was doing that, he went and got the law degree. And then he moved over about, you say it's probably about 12 years ago, 13 years ago? No, 12. 12 years. Almost 12. To the Planetary Science Institute, 
which if you don't know, you know, astronomy is not just done by the university here at, at, uh, in uh, Tucson. We also have private groups that fund themselves on grants and other sorts of funding. And we have such a group here that does planetary science work. And for about the last almost 11 years, he's been the director and the CEO of Planetary Science Institute. And I would be reminisce, I would be remiss. Remiss, thank you. <laughs> I'm reminiscing that I would be remiss if I didn't mention that also Mark is a, an active member of the Arizona Opera Chorus. In fact, oh yes. So he, he wears many hats, right? He sings opera. For those of you who are early, we were playing Rigoletto uh, in his honor. Uh, he is an opera singer, extraordinaire, lawyer, and planetary scientist astronomer. And he's going to tell us. He's also intimately involved with the Dawn mission. So he's going to tell you all about it. Mark. Oh, thank you. Well, well first, I, I want to say that uh, uh, Planetary Science Institute was founded here in Tucson 43 years ago. And today, I, I think I can, I can accurately say that it is the largest non-governmental employer of planetary scientists in the world. We have about 100 PhDs in 22 states and 13 countries, a uh, chunk of them here in Tucson where we have our corporate headquarters. And, uh, and, and of course, our, our goal is world hegemony. So, uh, anyway, like, <clears throat> like Tom, Tom was saying, uh, I'm a co-investigator on the Dawn mission, and, and I wanted to, to share with you uh, some of the excitement uh, that I'm feeling uh, as our mission gets closer and closer to what I consider our, our, our well, I don't want to say the most, I don't want to offend anybody that likes Vesta, but I mean, I like Vesta. Vesta's a great planet, or a great uh, asteroid, but uh, I'm really excited uh, by Ceres, and, and the subtitle of this talk is The Hunt for the Great White Spot. You can see, you know, the, the there we go. Uh, up there, because uh, we're, we're always, you know, I, I've had this in mind, not a whale, but something metaphorical uh, with regards to the whale, uh, for, for a number of years, and I, and I thought that I would uh, uh, go over this with you. So my involvement with Don goes back to 1999, when I was first working on the, on the proposal, when we figured out that, hey, we can go to two asteroids, we can go to Vesta, then we can go to Ceres, and I uh, was able to, to sell it to the, to the team. And, and how we sold it to NASA was to say that, you know, these are the two largest asteroids in the asteroid belt, and, uh, and they're the only known surviving protoplanets from the beginning of the solar system. And Vesta is uh, formed dry, and it, 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 we, we feel that, uh, or we know that a lot of uh, meteorites on the Earth actually come from Vesta. They're basaltic uh, achondrites, so uh, Howardite, uh, Eucrites, and, uh, and uh, another one, Diogenites. There we go. And uh, in Ceres, uh, which is a very different uh, can of worms, is the largest object in the asteroid belt, uh, formerly a planet, originally a planet. Uh, it, was, it was the target of the first uh, international astronomical uh, uh, campaign to hunt for a missing planet between Mars and Jupiter. They found it exactly where they thought that they would in terms of distance from the sun. And it's more like these guys down here, these dark carbonaceous objects. The, um, the thing about these two guys is that they formed on <clears throat> opposite sides of the snow line. So Vesta formed dry, Ceres formed wet, so it's got lots of ice and stuff on there. And so this is how we, we pitched to NASA. We got these two surviving embryonic uh, uh, planetoids 
uh, from the early solar system. We're going to study the first stages of, of, uh, of planet formation by going to these two objects and, and studying them up close and personal. So uh, in 2000, Don was selected. 2002, we're, we're building uh, the, uh, uh, the spacecraft. That's me and a couple people from PSI, our CFO and uh, sponsored projects manager uh, there. It's always fun to get, you know, duded up and clean stuff and walk into rooms with tape all over your feet, you know, to, to keep the dust off. Um, and, in, and in 2000, you know, after, after we got selected and everything, our, 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 our picture of series started to evolve. Um, we got our, we got some, we had some early observations with Hubble uh, of series, and I think I had that picture here. Yeah, I mean, Okay, it's a little crappy, okay, but, but it's the first Hubble observations. It was round, it was interesting, okay, good. So, uh, so we got our second round of series observations in December 2003 and early 2004, and, uh, uh, and it actually is not pink. Uh, I created this image so that it looked cool. You know, it's, it's, it's actually, if you were to look at series, it looked like a lump of coal. It's dark, it reflects 9% of the light that, that, that falls on it. And, uh, uh, and so, and so these albedo variations that you see on the surface are like little smudges on the lump of coal. Uh, but, but I did that, so it looks like. But, but these observations showed that it was, um, let's see here, I think I, yeah, here we go. That, that it was round. Actually, we saw no topography. When we looked at Vesta, it has this big old dent in the southern uh, uh, hemisphere. But Ceres uh, was, was nice and round. And, uh, and when we take its rotation rate and its, uh, uh, and its shape, uh, we go, well, that's not consistent with an object that is of uniform density. And so uh, from, from that information, we inferred that, oh, okay, so it's an icy, rocky body, but at some time in the past, uh, it, it, it heated up and differentiated. So it formed a rocky core in an ice-rich mantle around that core uh, to explain the Hubble observation. So, so now Ceres becomes a little, a little more complex. There's a shocker down here, shocker. And the, the shocker was uh, about a year of this paper uh, was McCord and Sotan. Uh, they predicted that, wait a minute, if we do the thermal evolution of Ceres over the age of the solar system, consider radioactive materials in the core that's heating things up, that, that actually we expect that there should have been an interior ocean that was formed and that ocean could persist to today. And so that's, uh, that was quite a uh, 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 surprise. And uh, here's a you know, very sophisticated model I did uh, showing its, its evolution using just you know, supercomputers and things like that. The uniform body, it starts getting warm, the water starts mobilizing, circulating, heavier rock starts falling down to the core, and you're left with a kind of nice rich mantle out there, ocean in between, rocky core at the, at the bottom. So that's, that's the uh, series in a nutshell. Uh, evolution. So why is that? Why is that of interest? Because we've been saying for decades that that if there's water, there's life, right? Uh, follow the water and all that. Uh, and so and so this is uh, one of the things that that came immediately to mind when we thought there might be an ocean beneath Ceres' surface today. And that is, over the billions of years of the solar system, could life have evolved in that environment? And just think what the pharmaceutical companies would do you know, with that. I think it could fund solar system exploration for the next 100 years. Anyway, 
uh, so in 96, if, if for those of you who are old enough to remember 96, uh, you know, might remember that, that you know, about this life thing is, is the Martian microfossils, you know, uh, the Allen Hills uh, meteorite. Uh, actually, the cool thing about that, it's still kind of like controversial. There are people, oh, no, 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 it's not, you know, organic. And others said, oh, yeah, 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 you know, it could be. Uh, so, so there was that. Uh, 96 was a big year. Another thing that happened that year was uh, we started discovering planets around other stars that didn't go away when somebody else looked at it. <laughs> and then, really, this is like pre-Kepler, okay. So um, and then also in 96, it was big because Europa was discovered to have a, an ocean. And so, uh, uh, okay, it has a thinner ocean. I, I would draw it thicker myself, but, but that's this, their model. And uh, uh, so, again, could there be life? And that's why Europa, over the past you know, couple of decades, has been a real target for all kinds of money being shoveled out the door to, uh, to study, oh, can we send a, a spacecraft there? Can we study this? Can we get at this, understand the oceans more, ultimately send a submarine or something like that, you know, a little yellow submarine to go down underneath the ice. And uh, uh, because, you know, you don't need the sun to have life. You know, this is uh, demonstrated on the Earth that, that there's, there's uh, uh, environments, particularly you think down at the ocean floors and the spreading regions where you have these, uh, you know, tube worms and stuff growing down there. And uh, uh, there's lots of, of kind of very, uh, here's, here's, I can't remember the name of the, the black, black uh, chimneys or something. Smokers, Smokers yeah. And, and, uh, uh, and, and also there's some very uh, uh, heavy, heavily saline uh, environments where we find life just about everywhere. And, and the interesting thing is that when you, when you take this old uh, you know, tree of life type of thing, the most primitive life on Earth is, is this extremophiles, you know, that you might find in some of these environments. Maybe that's where life got its start on the Earth. Maybe that's where life could get start elsewhere in the solar system on objects like Europa and Ceres. I, I can't explain the cow. Anyway. Um, <laughs> Actually, I, I used this slide for another talk uh, uh, a few years ago up in, in, in Utah, and, and I had this uh, audience was talking about the great planet debate, and then it was talking about life. And, and I had this, uh, like, eight-year-old girl sitting in the first row. And I'd say, you know, and then they're, you, know, you go into the, here you have all this water down there and, and, and heat, and it raised the question whether there could be. And I took the microphone over the little girl, and she said, cows. <laughs> so for the rest of the talk, I'd just go over to whatever say life, you know, just, house through the whole thing. And uh, it got to the point where I just start walking towards her and everybody started laughing. So anyway, uh, uh, so, so, so the idea that life could evolve in these kind of uh, dark, uh, warm environments uh, beneath the surface of worlds is something that uh, has, its, has its origin right here on Earth. And so, uh, and in these oceans, uh, like Ceres, that you expect a significant amount of dissolved minerals, and, and if it gets too nasty, then that could make things difficult for life. But uh, there's this neat little, little chart here about water activity with food science, which I think is interesting. So oceans up here, you find a lot of stuff in there. And, and as, as you start getting uh, uh, a lower value of water activity, uh, then you start moving towards extremophile um, uh, uh, life uh, that, that can live in that environment until it finally gets uh, too low. Now you look over in the food side, and, you know, I, I think it's kind of neat that, oh, you know, that's why chocolate doesn't rot. You know, honey is a good way to, you know, a good thing to pack things in. 
And so, uh, so that's an uh, interesting little, little, little sidebar there. Uh, but, but anyway, the point is, is that you can have life survive in some pretty uh, extreme chemical environments. That, that may be the environment that exists uh, in these uh, uh, other worlds. So, Don's flying there. Don's going the series. How are we going to see if there's an ocean underneath the surface? Well, Europa's ocean was detected by, had this nice magnetometer. They're flying by Europa. They're looking at the effect of Europa on the Jupiter magnetic field environment. There's something going on. It's changing it. It's because there's the circulating ions and fluids beneath the surface. And so that's causing currents and pushing Jupiter's magnetic field around. And so they're able to infer from their magnetometer observations that there's something under the surface of Europa. Ooh. You know, it looks like liquid water. That explains everything. So they got very excited. Um, Don doesn't have a magnetometer. We originally had a magnetometer. <clears throat> we did. But, but it got canceled. It got, it got cut off because when Don was canceled, we brought it back to life, thanks to John McCain and his staff. Uh, but, but the magnetometer was the pound of flush that we had to pay uh, for, for coming back to life. And it was really sad because we could have used it at, at Vesta to see if, if Vesta had a magnetic field. But, that's all past us now. We've moved on. Okay. So, uh, uh, so we, we can't do it that way. So, but what about if interior water from interior ocean gets out onto the surface? Then what would we see? We'd see Old Faithful. Okay, maybe not Old Faithful. Old Faithful's warmer. Uh, see, there we go. But yes, we'd see evaporites because the water would come out heavily mineralized, the water uh, sublimates uh, fairly quickly in a vacuum, and, and it, it leaves all the salts and other things on the surface, and that stuff tends to be a nice, bright white color. So, back in uh, when McCord and Sotan's paper came out, I'm going, I want to see a white spot on Ceres. If we see a white spot on Ceres, then that's the smoking gun. That, that's, that's how we're going to see if there's an ocean underneath the surface. <sighs> Hope springs eternal. So in 2007, Don launches successfully. You know, it kind of looks like it's going into the ocean. That's really, not, that's, that's, that's kind of, no, it's just the path. It's just kind of the way it looks. It's not going, yeah, it blew up there. No, no, it's, yeah, it's all been CGI since then. But no, it's not true. It's worked beautifully. And in 2009, we fly past Mars. We get a nice little gravity assist, a little change in angle to uh, take us up to the right uh, inclination in the asteroid, uh, main asteroid belt. And then in 2011, we arrive at our first target, Vesta, and spent 14 months at that object, which was, which was very interesting. And, and just say, say a little bit about here is that uh, we're seeing all these weird tectonic features. Here's the snowman. There's the snowman. And, and, and you see these dark th things here, dark impacts. Uh, that's because down here in the south, where we saw the dump before from Hubble, uh, there's these, uh, there are actually two giant basin-forming collisions that, that took out most of the southern hemisphere. One of them, we think, is called uh, Veninia, was, was a dark asteroid, and it spread all this dark material. Now, this is a bright object. It, it reflects about 40% of its light. And, and so it's, uh, it's, it's, about, it's about this color, about this color. And um, uh, so, so it spread out all this black carbonaceous stuff over one side. 
And, and so over the uh, age of the solar system, things are covered up. And, and then when we get there, uh, some stuff has been excavated. And so we see this dark black stuff against this bright area. Going, what the heck is that? So, um, and, and ultimately, it was uh, some uh, observations by uh, the gamma ray neutron uh, detector, which is run by PSI, uh, which measured hydrogen, among many other things, and determined that, whoa, there's this, all this abundance of hydrogen on one side. Oh, wait a minute, that's where we're seeing all the black spots. Oh, now we got it all figured out. Well, we think. Uh, but I'm not here to talk about Vesta. I'm talk here, here about, talk about Ceres, so, so we'll move on. We arrived at Ceres this last December. I was actually excited to see this image. It's like nine pixels. It doesn't look quite as good as the Hubble image, but uh, but it's like okay, we're here. We're getting closer. You know, we're gonna we're gonna rock and roll. And so we started out taking stopping, uh, not stopping. It's not like like <laughs> make some observations. Okay. Yeah, keep on going. You know, turn on the engine, put a drive. No, uh, we use uh, uh, ion thrust, and so it's like zero to sixty in a month, and uh, very, very low, low thrust uh, thing. But we're thrusting like all the time, and uh, and it's very forgiving too. Well, sometimes it's forgiving. That's another story. But uh, um, uh, but yeah. So so we we kind of coast and we make these observations up up nav, so navigation images at these various points here that we do our first rotate, we're looking at series, first uh, rotational characterization, so we look at going around all the time. Uh, these first three images, there's like you observe it for two hours uh, just to kind of say, is it there? Yeah, okay, now we're thrusting in the right direction? Yeah, okay, good, let's keep going. And, and now, and we got captured by series gravity last month, March 6th. So, so at that point, if we stopped working, we, we would be in series orbit and we'd deal with it. Um, uh, it, before that, if we stopped working, then it'd be by series. So, uh, so anyway, we got captured by series, and here we are uh, uh, near today. This last week was OPNAV seven, is right right there. And coming up, so so we're on the cusp on, of our of our primary science uh, activities. Uh, uh, we keep getting closer. So uh, this. Thursday, I think it is, uh, the 23rd, is that Thursday? Yeah, um, uh, we'll be, have gotten to within uh, uh, 14,000 kilometers, and, um, and the, look, all these translation, one is obviously miles, and the other is obviously kilometers, okay. Um, but, oh yeah, this is this uh, miles over here. So we're about 14,000 kilometers, uh, RC3, we're gonna get down to, and that, that has a, uh, a scale of about 1.3 kilometers per pixel on our images, Ultimately, we get down to uh, an altitude of about 325 kilometers above the surface of Ceres, where each pixel will be 35 meters. So, so there is just so much more uh, to come, and I haven't even showed you anything yet. So, but but just, this is uh, uh, kind of just advance warning. So then there was another dramatic discovery before we got to Ceres, about about a year before that, and that is uh, these guys using the Herschel uh, Space Telescope observing uh, in the in the uh, far infrared. Uh, detected water vapor being emitted from two locations on the surface of, of Ceres. And, and so, you know, we're still looking for the whale, right? And so if, if there's w water vapor being detected, you know, it's, it's coming from something. And uh, so that was, that was very exciting. And, and so we started to redesign our, our uh, uh, observation planning from when the spacecraft uh, got to Ceres. 
So we've seen it. Uh, there's places when it was not seen. It's an episodic type of a thing. Uh, so it's not observed, and then all of a sudden it's observed. They, they watch it go, a uh, series rotate, takes nine hours to rotate. They, they see the water vapor go away, come back, go away, come back a couple of times. So confirmation, um, very exciting stuff. And, and since it's episodic, it's like, okay, is there some kind of eruption or something you know, going on on the surface? What's, what's causing this? Am I going to see a white spot? So here's our first movie, two-hour movie. And, and yes, there's a white spot up there. But actually, OK, Photoshop <laughs> does wonders. Uh, you, you know, I mean, when you're going to show an image, if, if I showed you this the way you would see it, it would be a lump of coal with a smudge on it. Uh, uh, the average albedo of series reflects 9% of the light. This thing's reflecting, at this resolution, about 10% of the light. So, so it's really not, not what it looks like. Um, and uh, here's a map of what Hubble saw. Uh, little, little spots, kind of a, a brightish area. Uh, this is number two. This spot here corresponds to number five there. So you see that wasn't that exciting, though it kind of looks brighter than what we'd expect from here. That's still an outstanding question because if there's been a change in brightness on any feature on series in the last decade, that's pretty cool too because then, you know, what, what's going on there? You know, more eruptions. Um, so the spot. And then we have our second movie. It was kind of funny. We had, we had three OpNav uh, movies in, in sequence, and we kept looking at the same part of series. You'd think if it was just randomly selected that that wouldn't happen. Uh, but it was good to see, see this again. And, and the interesting thing is that now we realize that it's not resolved. OK, uh, the first image, it was about Hubble resolution. Now this is getting a little better than Hubble, but it's not resolving. So that means it's not 10%. It maybe is like reflecting 12 or 13% of the light. You know, so, so it's getting brighter. It's still pretty dark. It's still kind of coal-like, but, but it's, it's getting a little brighter. OK, then things get real interesting. When we get to our second rotational characterization, where we're looking at four kilometers a pixel, not 17 or whatever it was before, we see this is that same spot. It's still not resolved. Now it's even brighter. And oh, it's, it's got a friend right there. And, and, and um, the resolution of four kilometers per pixel, now it has a minimum albedo of about 40%. That's, that's, that's Vesta. That's this. It's not, not a lump of coal. OK, it's really not that bright. But, but and, and the reason why it looks so bright is because of the integration time uh, of the measurements that we're making. It actually saturated the camera. So it's it saturated the pixels uh, there. So it just looks you know, uh, white. But very intriguing, and it's not resolved. And so, um, so some people are saying, oh, gee, you know, maybe on the team they're saying, maybe this is all water ice. You know, so we're seeing bright water ice on the surface. And, and I was arguing, nah, can't, can't be. Because uh, if, this was, uh, if this was all due to unit albedo water ice, then, then it would fit into a square about six square kilometers. And, and when you calculate how much water vapor should be coming off that, it'd be 10 times what Herschel saw. So it can't be water ice, but, but what it could be is evaporite. You know, that stuff around Old Faithful, so bright white uh, 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 evaporites from, uh, from water having come out on the surface. That's one hypothesis. Uh, now, there are some other, let's see here. I wanted to point out some other interesting things about Sirius, because it's not just a cratered. It's not just a cratered object here. 
Uh, it's not boring. Uh, there's some really, okay, let's see if I can do this. Ah, okay, look, look, look at this guy. Uh, there's some relaxed features. So this is a nice, rich object. And so we see, we see some things like, look at this kind of large basin. And, and it looks like it's filled up with, with something, and it's kind of hummocky. Uh, like, well, how does that happen? Uh, there's a lot of things that we see on the surface of Ceres that, uh, that are related to uh, relaxation, uh, they're related to some other kinds of processes that we don't quite understand. Um, you know, for instance, look at this th thing down here. Uh, is that some kind of a channel or whatever? There's actually some, some uh, uh, geomorphology uh, on Ceres that, that reminds me more of Mars than it does of an asteroid or the moon. It, it, some, some areas on, on uh, a series looks like the chaotic terrain where they had the big outflow channels uh, on the northern uh, hemisphere of Mars. So, uh, let's see if I can. Yeah, let's see. I'll put that. Something else there. Oh, and there's some other and there's some other white spots. Not quite as not quite as bright as uh, as the great the great white spot, but um, uh, but but there's other kind of similar uh, features there. Oh yes, and it turns out that the longitude of that spot happens to correspond to one of the longitudes at which water vapor was detected. So, you know, it's starting to get even more interesting. Except at the same time, there is another longitude at which uh, water vapor was detected, and that at the lower resolution was kind of a, a bright white area, except that as we look at, at series at high resolution, it kind of fades out, and we don't really see anything distinctive at this particular longitude on series at this, at this uh, resolution. But that doesn't mean there couldn't be something going on at even a smaller a spatial scale. So this raises the question of, of could we be seeing evidence of uh, cryovolcanism, which is my favorite idea because then that gets back to the original, original thought. Okay. Okay, here's a, here's a, a map that we've unfolded the uh, RC2 observations of, of Ceres, and it turns out that we can identify all of these spots observed by Hubble. Okay, here's that, that area where the other water vapor was thing, but it kind of corresponds to this slightly lighter bright area that, that when you scrunch it down at low resolution, it looks bright, but then when you look at it at high resolution, it's not so bright anymore. Um, and here's that basin here with the weird structure there. There's other kinds of weird structure that may be due to some kind of a collapse, you know, of the, of the, of the surface. Uh, again, Mars-like processes, what's going on there? Uh, don't quite know. There's some interesting dome features that are, that are seen in other locations on Ceres. Some cracks that may be due to impact or tectonics or, or something. It, it's giving all the suggestion of being an active world. There's, there's geology going on under the surface, and the geology could be going on today. Okay, so, okay, a little, little sciencey thing here. Uh, I see a rocky. It looks like a rock. You know, it's got all these craters. But, you know, you see some of these craters, and they've got these dimples in it, uh, central peaks. And, and, and we can actually use this as, as a test to see whether it's got a lot of ice in the, in the crust or not. Uh, because when you, when, you, when you pick the minimum diameter where you start seeing these things and you plot it up, icy satellites like out around Saturn uh, and rocky things plot on two very different 
curves. And Ceres right now is about here, and that's at pretty low resolution. And so you can see it's, it's going to be taking a dumpster dive into the uh, icy satellite uh, category. Ah, okay, this is last week. Hey, come on. Oh, there it is, yes, yes. <laughs> I turned my head at the wrong time. Let's do this again. Yes, so here we are. We're looking down on the North Pole of Ceres. I mean, almost just straight down on it. And, of course, our old friend, Spot 5, comes back with its, with its neighbor. And, uh, uh, and also, we're seeing some other interesting things here. Let's see if I can do this. I would have you keep an eye on, yeah, this area here. And oh, where the hell is it? Uh, is this area here that as we go around, we see that uh, we're look. Oh no, I'm sorry. It's this guy. It's this guy up here that that we're seeing these uh, hill morphologies. It's like, well, how does that come about? You know, we're not looking at rebound. Uh, from, from the central part of a crater where, where material slid back after the crater was formed and then, and then gives you this little, little peak in the middle. This is some other process. And, and it makes me wonder whether we could be seeing some paraglacial processes on Ceres. Uh, pingos, I think they're called, uh, where, where there could be internal pressure that's, that's pushing out the, the surface to form uh, some of these hills. Uh, and then, of course, now we're at a resolution. I was saying before that... that, that um, uh, if the, if the spot was all unit albedo water ice, it'd be six square kilometers. Well, that's about a pixel 2.3 uh, meters on a side. Now we're under that. We're a little under, we're about 2.1 uh, kilometers per pixel. And so we're, we're, we're into resolution land uh, for, for uh, spot five. And you see, again, it, 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 saturate, it's, it comes around the, the edge here and then fairly quickly saturates the pixels again because it's so damn bright. Okay. Okay, so here's, here's zooming in on it. I don't know if this is released or not, but what the hell. Uh, so <laughs> so, so here, here's a zoom in on spot five, and, and when you adjust it, you see that there's, there's some morphology there, and there's a, even a brighter or a bright component of it that's, again, in, in one pixel. So, but we're starting to get down to where we can perhaps see what's going on and, okay, here's, here's another part where it's starting to get in the shadow. The, the neighbor spot here is, is shadowed out, but it looks like there's a ring here. Now, is that, is that like a cr small crater rim? Is, that, is, that, is it filling up some kind of a pool and, and just the in interior of the pool is, is, is now uh, in, in shadow? Don't know yet, but, but we're starting to see structure here, which uh, allows us to start making up all kinds of mechanisms for explaining it. So what is it? Is it exposed ice? You know, we see on Mars examples where, okay, so this is a little smaller. This is a six-meter crater, you know, and, uh, uh, but there was a recent impact on Mars, exposed ice beneath the surface. And then after a year or so, you know, the ice sublimates and go away. So, so some people on the team have said, uh, I mean, because we're just throwing out ideas all the time, uh, said, hey, maybe this is exposed, you know, like a, some kind of reservoir of water ice, and there's impact, expose that, and, and that's what we're seeing. Um, of course, the problem with that is that it's been, it's been there for at least 10 years, 
And, and so I think that it would have, uh, unless it was like really whoop, pure ice uh, or something, that, that it would have uh, uh, started looking more like this after that period of time. And also it's that water vapor production thing. If, if, if it's all water ice, 10 times the amount of water vapor should have been seen by Herschel. So I don't think this is a really good uh, explanation. Now this is another interesting theory. This is uh, uh, a recent paper uh, by Osinski. used to be with PSI, we called him Oz, and now he's up in Canada. And, uh, uh, and uh, he's talking about impact-driven hydrothermal activity, where if you have an ice-rich or you know, some, some kind of a, of a crust with, with water in some state, and you get an impact that com comes in, that you can make a crater lake, that you can get hot springs, you, get, you basically are heating up the interior of, of the crater, and for some period of time, that, that will keep the water liquid and it will be pushing it out you know, onto the surface. And so and if that were to happen on, on, on Ceres, then the water coming out would be mineralized and then it would uh, sublimate and leave the evaporite. And so you, that gives you the white rim uh, on the outside. So this is possible, uh, except that uh, I would expect to see a lot more of this, you know, because you can do this with like uh, six kilometer diameter craters and, and there's, there's an awful lot of them. On, on the surface of Ceres, and they're, and they're, you know, a lot of them are relatively fresh. So, so I don't know, but but I'd say that this is uh, still a a possible mechanism uh, for for the white spot. And then of course, there's this, you know, eruption of water from a from a subsurface ocean. Uh, my favorite, but because you know because you like something, then you got to be extra critical of it and go, well, maybe we got to think about other uh, other opportunities, other possibilities as well. Uh, so I'd say that we have a couple of possible mechanisms uh, for this, and, and trying to distinguish them, I think, is going to be a challenge as we get closer. We're having the next one. Or it could be something that's completely new, you know, something that we haven't thought about. And God knows that, if particularly any of you associated with astronomy, that's our life, right? You know, I've got a theory for something. And then so many years later, well, you're wrong. <laughs> you know, it's just, you know, some graduate student comes along and just, you know, kicks you. So, uh, uh, so there could be something that we're just not even thinking about that, that explains this. Uh, but as we look at Ceres, these other features may offer some help. As we get a better understanding of what the, what the environment is, uh, there's these other areas that are, are white spots, but perhaps not as white. Maybe they're the same kind of thing, but older. And so as we study them, We'll, we'll see an evolution of, of this, whatever this mechanism is. Uh, we get a better understanding of like what's going on beneath the surface with these uh, hill formations, with possible outflow channels, with uh, uh, subsidence. Uh, so, so we get a better idea of, of Ceres as a system, and that may help ultimately uh, uh, eliminate or suggest some possibilities uh, for, for this spot. Now, of course, if it ends up being what I've been thinking about for nine years, which is, which is something from an interior ocean, then, then the great thing about it is that Ceres, unlike Europa, is not a nasty radiation you know, belt around Jupiter. It's a lot easier to get to. It's halfway between Mars and Jupiter. So it's in the hood, and, and, it's, in a, and it's, it's in a safe neighborhood. And, uh, and so you can set a, space, a spacecraft there without your electronics getting fried. And in fact, you can actually send a spacecraft down to the surface of Ceres for the, God, probably half a billion dollars as opposed to 
you know, sending a yellow submarine into the subsurface ocean of Europa, which will probably be up to about eight or ten billion dollars by then of sunk costs, so to speak. And uh, 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 and we could go to that white spot and we could pick up some of that white stuff and look at it and say, are there any dead bugs in there? And make perhaps the most important discovery in human history. So uh, so that's why that's why I get excited by by the the prospects here is, is that and, and then we get the pharmaceutical companies interested in and fund solar system exploration for the next century. So, um, uh, so Ceres is a, is a work in progress. Uh, what's next? Don is now moving uh, towards RC3. Uh, because of that water vapor detection by, by Herschel, uh, one of the first things we did in, in changing our strategy for when arrived at Ceres is that we said we got to have high phase observations. In other words, we got to look from behind Ceres, from kind of from the dark side at, at a crescent uh, and, and, and take some deep exposures to see if there's any evidence of, of like haze or dust uh, over the horizon. You know, that would literally be the smoke of the smoking gun. And so, uh, so we want to we'll check that out. And, and then we'll be mapping, you know, the whole whole planet, and 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 of course it'll be at twice the spatial resolution of the images of the white spot you were just seeing, and uh, uh, and we do get color. I mean, we do. In fact, I'll I think, yeah, okay. This is this is series in fake color, and 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 whether it means anything or not, hard to say. Colors don't seem to correlate with much of anything, so maybe it was a bad selection of colors. Well, it looks like there's something up here. You know, you got rough terrain, you got smooth terrain. It's hard to say. But but uh, but from the last time we had a color map, there we go. Uh, we'll be seeing uh, which is that. That's the last. That's our last color map uh, from from the RC2. Uh, we're we're going to be seeing color at four times the spatial resolution, and so maybe maybe we'll see more clues that way. Uh, we also have a, a visible uh, infrared mapping spectrometer, which seems to be having some problems right now, and I'm hoping that it'll get all figured out and fixed because then we can get spectra of, of these areas and, and see what the, what the composition is uh, from that a little more directly. You know, maybe, maybe see water features or features associated with some of these vaporites or other, other minerals uh, 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 in, in series to, to get a better understanding of its composition and, and its evolution and all that good stuff. So uh, I'm actually a little early, but um, that's all I have to say for tonight. And so p please, if you have any questions, ask me. So. Yes. Yes. It's it, that that would generate way too much heat. And would uh, would have probably more dramatic uh, effect. Ceres uh, is about a thousand kilometers in diameter. You can put it over Texas, which might be a good place for it. No, 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 no. So, <laughs> yeah, it, it's it's uh, it's the only object in the asteroid belt that's round by its own gravity. That's why it's referred to as a planet. We're going to be around there for uh, a little more than a year. You know, uh, the god of hydrazine willing. Uh, uh, we're going to go for as long as we've got uh, fuel. Uh, we may be able to extend the life of the mission a bit. Uh, uh, if our reaction wheels work, we, we're down to like two now. And so we, we've turned them off. We're doing, every, we're doing all of our pointing by little hydrazine thrusters, chemical rocket thrusters. Um, and uh, uh, so we have a minimum mission of about a year. Uh, 
and might be able to extend it a little bit. Yes? We have a framing camera, which has taken the pictures we've been, we've been looking at. Uh, we have the visible infrared mapping spectrometer, which you're not seeing any pictures of. Um, and hopefully we will be seeing some of that. Um, and we have the gamma ray neutron detector, which is run by PSI. And that is detecting uh, gamma radiation and neutrons from the surface of Ceres. And it doesn't really work well unless you're really close because it's observing the whole sky at once. And so when you're really close, then at least you have half the sky filled with your target. And, and so uh, uh, that has low resolution, spatial resolution, um, but uh, it, it gives us a good detail on you know, how much hydrogen there is in the upper meter, uh, iron, uh, uh, thorium, uh, uh, calcium, carbon, all, all kinds of other uh, elements. And then from that, when you combine it with spectral data or even color data, then we can, we can build up more detailed models of the mineralogy of the surface to understand what it's made of. Yeah, yeah, basically. I mean, Vesto at one time, you know, would have been classified as a planet when it was kind of molten, you know, because then it would have been, you know, more round. But, but just from the definition of, of planets being round things orbiting the sun, which is not the IU definition to their loss, but uh, that's, uh, uh, that how it, that, that's how it would divide out. But, but the interesting thing about that is that uh, uh, when you look at all the round objects in the, in the solar system, that are round by their gravity, and you compare it with all the irregular objects in the solar system. When you get an object that, like Ceres that's big enough to be round, that's when geology turns on. That's when you start seeing interior manifestation of interior processes on the surface. And so when we send spacecraft to some object in the solar system and, and we're looking to, to study processes similar to the processes we see on the Earth, we go to round objects. Nice energy. What's the average temperature of Ceres? Well, it's uh, warm at the equator, uh, a couple hundred degrees, 250 degrees. Uh, get up, gets up to, gets down to about 100K at the poles. So uh, uh, Sirius is a very low obliquity. So unlike, unlike the Earth, it doesn't have seasons as, as it goes around the sun. And uh, it's only tilted about four degrees uh, from, from its orbital plane. And so the, the equator is always warmer than the higher latitudes. Sir? Hold on, let me... Ah. What will become of the spacecraft when you run out of fuel? Well, because Ceres is a potential place for life, then, then by the time that we launched, then we had to deal with all this planetary protection stuff because we didn't do uh, what you do when you send things to the surface of Mars, which is like, you know, bake things out and, you know, you make sure all the bugs are dead and things like that. So not that, not that Don is a dirty spacecraft or anything. I'm sure it's relatively clean. But uh, uh, so we had to park it into an orbit that, was, uh, that would be uh, stable for like 25 years. So that's, that's the rule. I would have liked to have gone down even closer you know, to like maybe a couple hundred kilometers or 150 kilometers above the surface and see what we can see then. But planetary protections, like, uh, well. Other questions? Ultimately, it will crash into, into series. So just trying to clarify, 
So you're saying that those may not be impacts, but maybe sort of some kind of tectonic movement? Which are your... Uh, when you see sort of the craters. So you're thinking they may be kind of depressions to some kind of tectonic movement on the surface? Well, there's, well, there's some crater. I mean, a lot of the objects on there are obviously craters. Yeah. Uh, there's some like linear structures. Yeah, like the one that you that think is like kind of a ravine-like or something like that. Right, and how that how that comes about, you know, that that could be uh, that could be a tectonic process. It's certainly not an impact process, you know, to, to right. have a long channel, um, you know. But but if it's if it's due to due to an impact in terms of a shock that that's that's causing a fracture, uh, that's one possible explanation. Uh, in some of the other cases where you have like these kind of tri large triangular zones that are depressed. Right. You know, that, that looks to me like subsidence that you see on Mars. Almost like it might have a, a under uh, undersurface current that might... Uh, that yeah, what's going on under the surface, you know, that, that's, yeah. it's kind of up for grabs right now. I mean, you'd think that, that it's cold enough uh -huh. that, that, that it should just be ice. Right. But if down below, yeah. uh, oh, 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 one thing I should say is that... Uh, one of our scientists, PSI, have been doing some interior modeling of Ceres uh, using some code that he developed at Los Alamos, so it's, it's pretty cool. And uh, uh, what, what it shows is this, uh, this uh, crust with, with the inside of it is, is really pretty irregular, and, and that there's these uh, plumes and things uh, from the oceans pushing up against it. So, so if there's cracks in there and some of this stuff is getting closer to the surface, then you know, maybe that's causing sufficient heating in some areas that it's uh, affecting subsidence and things like that. I'm, I'm, I'm an interplanetary dust guy, so I'm making, and I'm not, not just making it up, but, but you know, there are other people who are, or, uh, I, I'm thinking I'm giving you the straight poop on this. Thanks. <laughs> Any other questions? In the back there. Oh, yes. I noticed in one of your views that there was a bright white spot and then it looked like it had a tail that kind of sloped into a ridge. So I was wondering if that was someplace that you're going to be exploring when you get closer. Is this the? Is I the, think it was one of those ones where it was. Um, oh, one of the alternative no, spots? Right, oh, oh, oh. No, keep going forward again. Oh, forward. Uh, back. Back? Back. No, no, forward. Then stop. Forward, <laughs> forward and stop and stop. One, one more forward, please. Uh, excuse me, one more back. Back, stop. Okay, this is the movie. It's right there in the center. See where your hand is? Go straight up, and there's a bright, right spot, and then it, it looks like... Oh, the, oh, oh, oh I see. Up, up, uh... Here. Oh, no, 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 no. Don't go... There. I'm, okay. I'm circling it, right? Right, yeah. Yeah, that guy. Yeah. Um, it, it looks like whatever that stuff is that's you know, coming that out. Could be, that could be just a glint. You know, because you see how it's getting brighter, you know, here towards the edge because that's where the sun is shining. And so this is the side the facing the sun uh, because, because, because of a wonderful wor <laughs> wizard. Oh, okay, here we go. Wiz he was. There we go. Yes, yes. So, yeah, so, so it's, a, it's a sunlight effect. Okay, I'm sorry. <laughs> it's all good. If you look at that spot now, though, it's resolved into a thing that almost looks similar to what was there before. There's a, a, a spot there, but then now there's a tail that from coming down from below it that, that goes on both sides. So is, again, is that the stop? Yeah. Well, yeah, yeah. It looks like 
so there's a crater here, there's uh -huh. another crater here, and, and there's some infill or something here. And then, yeah, there's a white spot white right spot there. White spot on the other side. And that, yeah. again, that's probably uh, another thing that's facing the sun, you know, like this is, and this is, and that. Oh, is. I see what you mean. Yeah, yeah. Sir? Because Why does the great white spot look like it's at the bottom of a basin? Because it's at the bottom of a basin. <laughs> now, now, why that's important, or is, is it just coincidence? You know, because we, we see lots of, of basins on there. You know, I don't know. Uh, and and, and is, is there any further structure in there? That's something that we'll find out as we get closer. Any other questions? Yes, right here. You get your exercise, Tom. <laughs> um, are you going to get close enough to sample if there is any water vapor that you... Oh, oh no, no, because no. Because the, uh, the yes. Galileo spacecraft is, has been... Has, and you Galileo, Sam, uh, Galileo spacecraft fell into Jupiter. Oh, yeah, so it's not that one. Oh, oh, but you're thinking about Cassini, Cassini going through like the Enceladus plumes. Exactly. Yeah, very cool. Well, and they, they, they see, and they've got an instrument on there, uh, uh, the, the dust experiment, which, which is designed to, to sample particles that, that go through there and figure out what their composition is and all that. We don't have that. But, 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 um, uh, wait, there's more. Now, how much would you pay? Now, the, the, uh, uh, one of our uh, new guest investigators is, is going to be uh, seeing if, if, any very, very thin atmosphere from water vapor coming out uh, acts as a drag on the spacecraft. And so that'll be another way we can test, uh, you know, how much is, is coming off the surface, you know, if anything, uh, is, is, is to see if we can measure an effect on the spacecraft motion over the year that we're there. And the, and the water particles could do that? If there's enough of them. You know, they kind of gang up after a while. Are you getting any information about like the, the vertical difference between like how deep the craters are or how high the hills are at this point? We will. <laughs> uh, you, there's, there's two ways we do it. Uh, uh, one is um, particularly once we get into RC3 uh, and, and our first survey orbit is we'll be taking a bunch of stereo pairs. And from the stereo, we'll be constructing elevation maps uh, of the surface. Uh, another technique uh, which was developed by a guy who's, who's now at PSI uh, called spectrophotoclinometry, and uh, uh, where we take observations. It's, it's, it's based on stereo, but then it uses observations from all kinds of, of directions to, to give you not just the, uh, uh, the elevation map, but also the uh, albedo map at the same time. So, yeah, we'll, we'll be getting that stuff. Any other questions? The reason I wasn't here when the lecture ended is I was opening up the Clark telescope and there's a nice huge cloud right in front of Jupiter. Now it may be gone by the time you know, we get back up there, but please feel free to visit the 21 inch telescope and even come take a look at the Clark telescope even if there are clouds that keep us from seeing Jupiter. Um, I will stamp student assignments down here and once again, Thank you so much for those of you who have supported us this year. Yeah. And we will see you on September the 14th. Let's thank Dr. Sykes one more time. Thank you.